You were born with individual strengths and a unique purpose. Don't let fears, false beliefs, or life's happenings diminish your influence. It's time to live and lead for impact. Host Kirsten Ross, expert of transformation, will help you defeat the drama and overcome the trauma that can stop you in your tracks. You'll gain focus, find confidence, and take bold action. Unleash passionate, purposeful you. Let's go. Welcome to Live and Lead for Impact. I'm Kirsten Ross Vogel, your host, and this is episode 241. I have an awesome guest that I'm really looking forward to learning more about, so I can't wait to share her with you. So her name is Tina Wells, and she's an award-winning and best-selling author. She's the founder of Relevant Media, a company she founded to focus on increasing representation in media. And you can find more about her at tinawells.com. And of course, that'll be at the show notes, but we'll talk about that in a minute. In the meantime, welcome, Tina. Hi, Kirsten. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, I am so good. And, uh, you know, we get to have just little bits of chat before we officially uh, move into the interview. And so I love your energy already. And I'm really looking forward to the conversation and to learning more about your important work. So tell me what is the unique impact that you're working to make in the world? Uh, for me, I'm focused on two things. The first is representation across content and media um, and really focused on diversity and inclusion. And then the second is to really target at-risk readers and get them engaged in reading. And that, that really speaks to the work I do with my younger middle grade fiction series. Oh my gosh. I'm a bookaholic by the way. And, um, I can't wait to hear more about that too. And that, that tugs at my heartstrings as well. Um, yeah. So, okay. So, uh, t- let's dive a little bit more into the representation and media. And can you just talk about more specifically, like what types of media, like, you know, tell me the full focus. Sure. So like you, um, I have been a bookaholic my entire life. I was looking at my audibles. It's also extended into audiobooks, And I have read this year, 142 audibles or listened to 142 audibles. And so <laughs> when I say I'm like crazy consuming content, I am yeah. and always was as, you know, a young reader. And I just kind of felt that I could lose myself in these worlds, but most of the time those characters didn't look like me. And in reality, less than 10% of middle grade uh, protagonists are are children of color. And so when you think about the idea that you see someone on a book cover and you read their story and you think that could be me, you know, if, if you are, you know, in a BIPOC community, that, that isn't necessarily how you're feeling. And so um, it started with my, my original series, Mackenzie Blue back in 2008. Um, And now, you know, I reimagined that series last year, uh, under a spinoff called The Z-Files, where the main character moves to London, and we really explore the fact that she's biracial and, 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 and the diverse group of friends that she's with to my newest series, Honest June, which is a full Black cast. Um, you know, I really just wanted to focus on crafting, you know, everyday fun or magical stories, even for middle grade readers that feature diverse characters, because I really believe that all readers benefit from exposure to diverse characters. I love that. You know, and I have to say, so, you know, I'm, I'm white. I got brown hair, blue eyes, but I have, um, my sister is biracial and, uh, you know, I think as I grew up as her sibling, 
I didn't realize the scope of everything that she was going through in our community, which was largely, you know, let's not even say largely white. It was almost exclusively white, except for the kids that have been adopted around the time that that she was. And, uh, you know, and I also know kind of the shift in her experience in the world uh, lately, you know, that it's gotten a little more difficult. And so I love that you are uh, focusing on this and, and bringing stories to life that are diverse, like our world really is. Yes. Thank you. And I agree. You know, I just like yesterday finished this awesome book. It's the target book of the month, this month called black girls must die exhausted. And the central character has the most interesting family makeup. You know, her father is biracial. Her mother is black, but her father remarries and his spouse is white. So she has two younger sisters um, who are mixed. And then her grandmother, who was her closest confidant is white. And so I just loved the layered complexity. And I think that's what's so awesome about storytelling is that our families, we, we can say, I see a part of my family or my story in this completely fictional fun story, but at least I feel like part of me is represented here. Yeah. So uh, tell me what life experiences have motivated you the most to make this really important impact. So I started my first company when I was 16. I spent over 20, almost 25 years in marketing and market research. And I was a young entrepreneur and and quite often people would say to me, you know, I saw you in essence, or I saw you here. And I knew that I could have a career in marketing or advertising. And, you know, that's another industry where less than 10% of executives are, are people of color. Right. And so I didn't realize any of this growing up, you know, I grew up in suburban New Jersey. I'm the oldest of six kids. You know, my dad was a pastor when I was growing up, we had a really tight knit close family. We still are today, but grew up in this kind of bubble that my parents created for us where, you know, every Black History Month, my dad would make us his own coloring books full of stories of very famous Black people and and their accomplishments. And so I grew up in a bubble where I knew what was possible for me in my life. And that was what really made me say, okay, marketing is great. I love it. I think there's a next step for me. You know, when I think about business founders, there was a time where Girl boss and create and cultivate and all these amazing communities were new, but they were not really created from a perspective of women of color. That's not to say these communities aren't inclusive, they are, but there is a difference when you are creating content or something with the nuances of, of, of you know, women of color in mind. And so that was really the shift for me where I thought, okay, I have a perspective on these things that I think can benefit a lot of people. And so I'm going to do a pivot and I'm going to continue to bring in everything I love about marketing into this new business, but I want to now create content and more content that really does showcase the diversity that we all know to be, you know, what's real for all of us. So I'd love to dive in a little bit deeper at what point and what did it feel like when you kind of, and I'm thinking maybe it was a journey, not an instantaneous (laughs) moment, but like when you had that aha moment of, oh, wait, that was a bubble. And that's not a lot of people's experience as they grow up. Yeah. I like, we knew, I think growing up the six of us, there are certain questions we would always get. Um, that were like strange to us. Like, I mean, people would say, oh, you're all siblings. Oh, and you have the same mom and dad. And we say, yes, yes. And and we kind of get a strange look and you just never understood, you know, and, or, you know, oh, all of you guys went to college. All six of you graduated from college. It's like, yes, <laughs> you know? And so 
I think for us, we were just living life and, and living based on the expectations our parents had set for us and didn't really understand. And I don't think I fully understood into my 20s, right? Really into my 30s. Um, you know, in my late 30s, I became a Henry Crown Fellow at the Aspen Institute. And during the course of that two-year fellowship, you know, you read a lot, you question a lot. You're with a group of incredible peers and you, you're, you know, it's almost like everything you think, you know, and everything you think you believe you're called, you know, it's called into question. And at that inflection point was when I really thought, okay, am I doing the very best thing I can do right now? Am I doing the thing that only I can do right now? And for me, that answer was no. Um, and then it was, well, what, it, what would be the leap? You know, and I'm sure you, you can relate. I'm sure your listeners can re- relate. You've been doing something for 20 plus years you're really not at a place where you want to try something new, right? Like you're hitting a groove, you want to keep going. Um, but I felt so convicted about this opportunity and, and the opportunity to, you know, increase diversity in content and also really target middle, you know, at-risk readers as something I felt uniquely equipped to do. So can we dive in a little bit? So you mentioned three different series of books and I would love to learn, are they all for middle school age? Yes. So I love writing for a middle grade reader. Um, I think that at this stage, they're just kind of getting into their independence and yet still want some of the like fun and magic. And I knew I probably wouldn't be a great YA writer, although now I am exploring a YA concept. Um, But I have so three series that are public, one in the works, so four total. Um, the first was Mackenzie Blue, and that literally came out of some work I was doing. I was starting to learn about a new consumer called Tween, and I was doing focus groups with a client. A mom asked me, you know, she pulled me aside during a focus group and said, you seem to know about these things. My daughter's 10. She's reading Gossip Girl. What should I do? And that was really um, kind of the kick in the pants I needed to get started with Mackenzie Blue, which was focused on a good girl who definitely had tween drama, but would make good decisions. And she was a good friend and good to her friends. And that led to the spinoff, The Z Files, where now she moved from uh, Southern California to London, and she's going to a boarding school out in the Cotswolds. Um, And then Honest June is about a girl who can't tell a lie and how she survives middle school uh, now that she has this fairy godmother who uh, doesn't allow her to tell lies. And then my new series that's coming uh, next summer is called The Stitch Click. And it's about a tight-knit group of friends who meet at this fashion class and they're five girls from five really different backgrounds and they become friends. And so it's really telling the story of their friendship, but being so different and yet so accepting of each other. Oh, I love all of those. And I love, um, so it sounds like you're really focusing on like uh, creating role models or, uh, or those great characters, characters that they can relate to as you indicated. Yeah, Yeah. It's interesting. What I think is so important for girls this age is that they, you know, we talk a lot about aspiration, but I think that there's something to this authentic aspiration. Like I know girls aspire to be Z. And so there's a little bit of her life that's elevated, but I want to always make, you know, kind of the majority or the, the biggest part of who she is to be really relatable to girls her age. Cause I think that relatability is really the key to readers feeling like, wow, she's just like me. And so many of girls would write to, to Mackenzie and say, you're just like me. And I would always say, that's interesting because she goes to this really cool certified lead school in Southern California and she's in a band with her friends and all of these things that are happening to me would feel really elevated. But to my reader, 
they feel like she's just like her. And so I would say that is the key. I'm always looking to ground my characters, even if their life seems like, you know, pie in the sky or very aspirational. And that's to me, the entertainment factor that's needed for the reader to connect. But I always want to ground the character in authenticity. Well, and it sounds like uh, you kind of have a focus on making sure it's achievable too. you know, at least the life lessons or the or the way they're living, right? Sounds a bit. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, uh, I love that you're getting letters, uh, to the characters of your book. So, uh, what impact have you made, or maybe it's a letter that you got, uh, when you, that really fuels your passion that just <laughs> lights your fire and has you feeling like, oh my gosh, like, thank goodness. I'm, I've been called to do this work. You know, one time, um, Mackenzie got an email or two that stand out that were just, they made me just laugh. Um, one girl wrote to her and said, um, I'm wondering, can you teach me how to flirt? I really don't know how, <laughs> and it seems I need to know how to do this. So can you help me? And I thought, oh my gosh, that like the vulnerability and what girls are asking other girls and what they want to know. Um, and that they think Z of all people can help with that. It's just, I loved that. Um, and then another was talking about, you know, technical terms for body parts and just saying, I think they should be called this, but I get made fun of in the locker room for saying that and other girls want to call it that. And, and so it just, all of the letters just reinforce this life stage of not knowing what's going on, you know, being nervous, being a little bit embarrassed. And so for me, it's just always trying to create characters that are also in the same place. Like with Z, she's a California girl who now moved, not only moved to London, but then went an hour plus outside of London to the Cotswolds. And so she's bringing in this like easy breezy California vibe to a group of private school kids who are wearing blazers every day and a little more buttoned up than she's used to being. So yes, she was in private school in California, but it was, everybody was the same, right? They were kind of easy breezy vibe. And so I always try to put my characters in a place where they're a little bit uncomfortable because I think it matches the life stage of, of that, those tween years, you know, where it's like, I'm trying to figure this out, but I haven't quite figured it out, but I'm trying, you know? I love how even in your descriptions of these characters, they come to life. <laughs> so I'm sure that they're really living well in these books. And you really are bringing me back to a time that was so difficult. <laughs> oh my gosh. We think that we question things and feel uncertainty now. Uh whew, I, I'm I'm picturing myself in that locker room right now in middle school. <laughs> I'm not sure that's how I wanted to start my day today. <laughs> I am with you. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so tell me, uh, what is the biggest internal or external challenge that you've had to overcome in this work and how did you overcome it? Yeah, I think for me, it was definitely imposter syndrome. You know, I come from a really traditional marketing background. And even though my degree is in journalism, I always thought I was going to be a writer and kind of stumbled into my career. And so I think often I, I feel like, oh my gosh, but I'm not a writer in air quotes, right? I'm not a traditional writer. And I, what I've had to really accept is that the way I see big picture, the way I create worlds and the way I create a space that's meant to be merchandise and TV and all of these things to come um, is unique. And so I think a lot of times we look at our unique qualities that we bring to the table as something that actually disqualifies us from the thing we want to do instead of as something that even more enhances our ability to do what we want to do. 
Um, and so I would say again to your listeners, you know, I have to overcome imposter syndrome every day. And even now I'm working on some programs in retail and I didn't understand, you know, as even as a marketer who built programs for big launches at retail, I didn't always understand the ins and outs of supply chain and, and those terms. And I've gotten really comfortable just saying, what does that mean? What does that acronym mean? I don't understand. You know, I don't understand to now, you know, a few years into that, I'm like, okay, I get how this goes. And so I, I think for all of us, the biggest thing we have to overcome is the idea that we're like an imposter or that we're not good enough to do the thing we want to do. I love that. And underneath what you're saying is that, uh, and I've seen so many clients struggle with this. They sit in the world of assumption rather than asking clarifying questions. Yes. And so I heard the, and, you know, and of course the other lesson in what you just shared is don't wait till you have it all figured out, like just figure it out along the way and, and power through those, just ask, just ask the questions (laughs) so much easier than heading down the wrong path, just trying to hide it, you know? (laughs) No, ask the questions. Don't be afraid to do it. You'll be so much happier that you're informed and, and just do it. Well, and it's more authentic too, you know, it's like, I, I don't know that. And, and people like to help, you know, they'll actually very often feel honored that you asked them for some information. I think back to uh, the first book I wrote and I was a single mom. This was years ago. It came out in 2010, but uh, you know, I was a single mom of two young boys and uh, I'm like, I'm going to write a book. And I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't even know. I'm like, how do you know when you have enough for a book? Like, do I have enough for a book? And how do I figure that out? (laughs) And I had a a friend who had just been published and I was like, you know, like how, like an eight and a half by 11, how does that translate into a book size? And how do you know? And so he told me the number of pages that his, you know, he's like, well, I had to have at least 25,000 words. And I was like, Ooh, I'm already at like 22,000 and I got a lot more to do. good. I'm good. I'm going to get there. And I think I ended up with, I forget now, like 70,000 or something. That was good. But, uh, but any, uh, you know, it's a nonfiction, it's on leadership, but, but anyway, yeah, it was, I, I just, what I did is I just made the commitment that I was going to write and I had to do it very early in the morning. I'm a morning person. So I had to pay attention to that. When am I at my best? And cause my book needed my best, but also I did work around my boys. They were little. So I had to get up really early and give it my best. And so the only commitment I made was I have to write and I have to get up. At, I forget if it was the four 30 or five that I would get up every morning and write for two to three hours, you know, until they got up and it was their summer break. And the rest, I just figured out along the way. And then the next one I wrote like way easier. Cause I had figured a lot of it out. No, it's true. Once. And that's what I tell everyone. Um, I think that the book writing is easiest and some people might disagree. I think the outlining and being really clear on where the book is going to go is the hardest, you know, and I think that the step, and I'm really fortunate to work with great writers too, but those, in, you know, initial steps of outline, you know, I just worked on the third book in my Honest June series. You know, I, I wrote the synopsis outline completely myself and then bring in writers to help where I need it. But for me, I've got to do that part of setting up what's going to happen, where the series are going to go, how that's going to work. And and that's really where I, I spend a lot of focus. And so I would say to listeners that think this is hard, I don't know where to start. Um, outlines, if you can get your outline tight and get your outline right and understand that process, 
then filling it in and writing to an outline can be a lot easier. And then to your point, it's the discipline of, am I writing in the morning? How often, you know, one of my writing partners commits to a thousand words a day when she's working on a manuscript. And so just figuring out what cadence makes sense for you. And the other little point that you made there, bring in support and help where you need it. And so for me, it was, yeah, I'm just going to edit this thing myself. No, 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 no. You, you, you don't know what words are on the page and what are in your mind. <laughs> it is, I don't think that would be possible. But again, I had to figure that out after trying because I didn't know what I didn't know. And so, yeah, lots of shifting and not beating yourself up when you have missteps. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure you've been through this process now. You know, when you get a copywriter or copy editor who's attached to it, you see a sea of red the first time you get something back and you're like, wow, I thought it was a great writer. Right. right? <laughs> Totally. You're like, okay, okay. I just got to, you let the ego go and you just say what's yeah. best for the project. But yeah, it's the support to team that comes in that makes sure everything stays on schedule. That makes sure, you know, the writing is as good as it can be that you're tightening. I have editors who push me all the time. I mean, the, la- the outline I just turned in about a week ago, there was a lot of like, where can we go deeper here? Where can we do this there? And just the amount of change that happens from having the right editor who is pushing you to produce your best product um, is just awesome. It's an awesome experience to get to partner with people who who are there to help you bring out the very best work you can produce. <laughs> and sticky, I when you're talking about like, oh, I thought I was a good writer, uh, <laughs> like stick to the like happy shock, you know, not beating yourself up and tearing yourself apart, <laughs> which can be difficult in those moments, very right? Yes, very yes. Difficult. And it's your baby when it gets out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, the no, we, we've, when I started in children's publishing, I used to get delivered to my office, like 200 very large, very long sheets of paper full of post-its and things that needed to be changed. And now it's all done digitally, but it doesn't feel any better to get the word talk <laughs> that's full of things that need to be changed. But, you know, at the end of the day, when I see these books in stores and on shelves, I'm just so proud of the work that so many people did to put these projects together. Um, and, and it takes a lot of like giving up your ego and saying, I just want the best work to get out there. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. So uh, tell me, how do you stay motivated and moving during any of your tough times? Yeah. So my motivation is I think really thinking about the opportunities that I've been given and how lucky I am to get to do what I want to do every day. And I really have had that gift every day of my life outside of a telemarketing job I had at like 15. I've like only worked for myself. And so, you know, I just remind myself that I am really fortunate. I'm really lucky. I get to show up and do work that I love every day. And it doesn't mean that there aren't stressful periods or tough times. Um, And then I really try to stay in a place where I'm being inspired. And for me, that's travel. So you can imagine like the last year and a half were really tough. It was really tough time because it was really hard to kind of get out and just get to places where they just naturally inspire me or I'm meeting people. And, you know, I'm, I'm so inspired by, you know, just watching families live life. And, you know, I, I always say airports are one of the most inspirational places for me. Cause I'm just looking at people looking for pain points, looking for products or things that, that could innovate, looking to see what brands are doing well and what people are wearing. And so I think not having that that genuine inspirational moment for me is often over the last two years has been tough. I'm now I'm just starting to get back to a travel schedule. And so, um, you know, I'm 
I'm really looking forward to being out and about more. And, and that for me is what kind of re- refills me if I feel like I'm, I'm running on empty. So I love the focus on gratitude. That's that whole, like in any moment, there's a million different things that we could focus on. And uh, if we can shift to the gratitude that helps elevate our mood and can, you know, add that inspiration or energy to what we're doing. And uh, I also am so much a people watcher, not so much in Air Force, but in, you know, but I'm not still going to restaurants actually. So yeah, I'm missing that as well. But I love, uh, you know, cause I focus on the relationship and communication stuff. So I love watching the body language of people and, you know, I take my guesses. I'll never know the truth, but you know, oh, I think they're on a first or second date, you know, and Ooh, they're having a little struggle right now, you know? <laughs> So um, for those who are working to make their own difference in the world, uh, what words of wisdom do you have for others? I would say, um, I know it's easier said than done to just do it, but I would say, what's the next right thing you can do that moves you in the direction of the thing you want to do? And don't look at the entirety. Like if someone had told me everything I have going on right now would be where I'd be a few years ago, I would have been too exhausted to even take the first step. But I think it's starting out with an idea and saying, this is what I think I can do. And then just constantly moving yourself towards the next right step, the next thing towards that idea. And then you'll turn around and say, oh my gosh, look at all of the things I did. But I think oftentimes we psych ourselves out because we put this big picture and we don't break it down into small things that we can accomplish and we don't reward ourselves for those small accomplishments. So we're almost not allowing ourselves to have these small wins because we've got our eye on this big elusive prize and then we burn out. And so I think it's realizing that you constantly have to, you know, have small goals. I have something I created for myself called the elevation approach. That's a four phase approach to how I I really look at my work where I'm in the preparation phase and inspiration, then recreation, which is more taking a break before the transformation phase. So even in my own life, I realize I need to take a, you know, tap out sometimes so I don't kind of lose the motivation to keep going. Those are beautiful words of wisdom. There's so much, uh, so much good in, in what you just shared. And I love that your kind of personal rhythm is to tap out, like you said, uh, you know, this instant gratification world and how, you know, people want to brag about how busy they are. We like so many people feel guilty, uh, you know, in taking that time, but you need it. You need that rejuvenation, re-energizing time. And, uh, you know, a lot of times my clients, I had one who she was so burned out and I had to lay it on the line to her. Like she had to take the weekend off. And, you know, so sometimes I have people think like, call it a cocoon phase, you know, inside a cocoon, a ton of stuff is happening. It looks like nothing's happening, but so like, at least that can maybe make it more palatable. So if you're a person who is like instant gratification and I feel guilty, if I like relax in any way, shape or form, just call it a cocoon phase. And then it becomes like, it feels like action. Yes. I love that. Yeah. So, uh, I have loved talking to you and you have given so much great information to inspire others. So I want to just circle back, uh, and I'm assuming at tinawells.com, they can find information on all of your books. Yes. Awesome. And um, let's just summarize again, your, you know, your three uh, key main characters and the topics, and then you have a fourth that you can't talk about at all. Is that what you're saying? Or, or is this going to be like a, you heard it here first moment? (laughs) 
Yeah. So the fourth was what I introduced here, the stitch click. But yeah, so you've got Mackenzie oh, yes. Blue. Yep. Mackenzie Blue, the Z Files, and Honest June. So um, the Z Files and Honest June, you can find them now exclusively at Target and Target.com. You can also get Mackenzie Blue on Target.com. And the stitch click will debut next summer. And that will also debut exclusively at Target. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining. I love the impact that you're making in the world. I love the joy that you're finding in it and the fuel. And uh, so I know that you ignited some inspiration in those who are listening as well. And please uh, connect with Tina. You can find her on Instagram at Tina Wells and also uh, her website, tinawells.com. These links and others and information about Tina's books will also be available on the show notes for today's episode. And you can find those by going to defeatthedrama.com, click on the podcast tab, and then go to episode 241. So thanks so much for listening. And if you are someone who's working to make your own impact, I want to invite you to join the myimpactacademy.com. And you can find that by going to myimpactacademy.com forward slash join for a two week free trial. And there are tons of resources there to help you find personal leadership, family business, impact success. So uh, definitely check that out. And I can't wait to lock arms with you in there. So take care, make it a great day. And thanks again, Tina, for joining. Oh, thanks, Kirsten. This has been so much fun. (laughs) Thank you.